Life is full of personal wins. Whether it's cleaning your house, getting that dream car, or checking off your to-do list, winning at life is a great feeling. And with the State Farm Personal Price Plan, you can keep winning when you create an affordable price just for you by bundling home and auto. So give yourself a round of applause. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Welcome to this Podcast number 739. Uh, what do you got going on in the Nerdist Community Court uh, I got a super fun one. This is from Paul Michael Newman. He's an officer in the Winter Park High School Theater Department in Orlando, just outside of Orlando, Florida. Pause for them freaking the fuck out right now. Yes. And now that I've said, fuck, they can't play in class. Ha ha, totally screwed you guys <laughs> over. Uh, they're doing a production of Chishin Ruga, which is a retelling of the 47 Ronin legend, and it's done all in kabuki with fight choreography. That's they're right. super into, like, this whole theater department is super into, like, pushing how far you can take like high school theater for stuff. Yep. So they're doing this whole production. It is October 8th, 9th, and 10th. And on the 10th, there is an, a matinee showing. The showings are at 7 p.m. The matinee is at 2. They're $10 at the door. Or you can search uh, Winter High uh, Park, Florida, and you'll be able to find the website that'll have tickets online. I don't know who's buying tickets online for a high school production. Go buy them at the door. I bet they're not sold out. <laughs> Either or. Um, but yeah, I, I like uh, kind of wish I could see this. If you guys videotape it, shoot it to me at Kyle Clark is Rad, because I want to see what you guys have done with this. And if they can make enough money from this production, they want to do The Hobbit as their spring project. Oh, well, So it's dependent amazing. on them making cash. So I am, I am super supportive. So thanks for bringing this to my attention, Paul. And good luck to you guys. Break a leg. Break a leg! Uh, Andrew Bowser, who we all know, from, yes. he works at Nerdist. He directs a bunch of the stuff, and he does Bizarre States Love podcast. Uh, he he's made a couple of horror movies, and he wants to make another one called House Mother. And so he set up an Indiegogo for it, and it sounds really cool and scary and awesome. And you can find it by going to indiegogo.com and ser- searching House Mother. Yeah. Yes, uh, Bowser is a fantastic director and yeah. a really funny guy. And, and Bizarre really Stage is. is such a good podcast. So, uh, yes, uh, go contribute to his Kickstarter and help me get this thing made. Uh, why don't you give him all the money, Chris? Because I am not a fountain of money. What? I'm not. Since when? Well, I mean, you just get that money fountain installed. Yeah. I, when I get the money, money fountain, fountain installed... Yeah, but I, I am also going to contribute to the campaign myself. In my mind, like I just imagine a money fountain is next to a cheese fountain and a chocolate fountain. <laughs> money fondue. <laughs> money fight. Uh, you guys, this episode is Brian Grazer, who Ooh. Uh, was so... That guy has had such an interesting <laughs> He's life. He's a sage. Well, okay, <laughs> so he really is. Yeah. Because uh, decades ago, he started this thing where once every couple of weeks, he would sit down with someone... And, and just anyone uh, who was something of interest to him, and he just interviewed them. He would interview them, and then he essentially ended up writing a book about it called uh, A Curious Mind, which is available now wherever books are sold. He's but like the proto-podcaster, man. He really is, but he, he didn't record. I, said, I, think he didn't, he, I think he said he didn't record any of those conversations. Because, I mean, of course, when you start doing that in the 80s, and it's like, let me bring this... Jo- I guess you could have just brought, like, a tape recorder. to real. A tape recorder would have worked. Uh, one of those cassette tapes. Oh, one of them. But uh, anyway, I hope Brian comes back on at some point again, because we only had an hour, and I just want to be able to continue the conversation. Here's Nurse Podcast number 739 with Brian Grazer. Now entering Nerdist.com.
where it goes down, right here. That's it. Oh, whoa, okay. Yeah, I know. It's. Uh, I, I'm going to actually have someone come in oh, and man, actually... Oh, man, I like your camo things, man. Oh, yeah, this is my, one of my favorite comic books. That's cool. And I was checking out the pa- those oh, shorts. Oh, the, these shorts. Oh, camo yes. Camo shorts. Yes. I went to the... Yeah. I, I, have to, I have to sneak in the gym in the morning before our writer's oh. meeting, so I... I always, I'm usually all day long, I look like I just came from the gym. Yeah, I almost did the same. Okay. <laughs> but I am, it's hard out at two. Is that cool? Sure, that's fine. All right, cool. Yeah, we can, uh, we can make that work. But thanks for having me. Thanks for being on. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We're, 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 already we're already recording. There's no, right there, there's no, we just, oh, okay. we just so glide into this. We're talking about your camo pants, all that's on it. That's all on. Yeah. All right, good. I'm glad I knew it. <laughs> I didn't know it after it happened. Here's Don't nine secrets I hope never want anyone finds out. Uh, oh, shit, we were fucking... <laughs> no, are we good? You're yes. good, Katie. Okay, I'm all recording. Now we're recording. Brian! Yeah! It's so nice to meet you. You, uh, 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 first of all, I love that you wrote this book, and I love that you've been doing what you've been doing for 35 years. But I, you produced literally some of my favorite movies of my entire life. Movies that completely informed who I ended up becoming as a comedy person. And I'm so, I mean, the list is crazy. Oh, Starting you. with Night Shift, going to uh, Splash, and then Real Genius, and Parenthood, and I think Bowfinger is one of the best comedies of all time. <laughs> I mean, like, these were so influential. Thank you. So thank you. I, yeah. I don't, that, there's not a question, it's thank you. But yes. then there are questions, because... Okay, are. Uh, I'm happy to be here the Nerdist right yes, now. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. We're gonna... I can we're, be in this club. But this is something that... Uh, this is essentially what I mean. In a strange kind of way, you've been sort of podcasting for a long time. You just haven't been record. You just haven't been putting out the. <laughs> I never hit the record episodes. button. Yeah, you didn't hit the record button. But just in case people don't know, um, do you want to tell everyone sort of what the basis of the book is and what your what your uh, attack t- on life has been for the past few decades? Yes, yeah, and you're holding the, my book. It's called A Curious Mind, A Secret to a Bigger Life because I had a very small life until I sort of employed this secret of using curiosity as a superpower um, in, this, in the form that I'm going to tell you that you know about, of course, whereas every two weeks for 30 years, without fail, I go find somebody to meet that is expert in anything other than entertainment. So science, medicine, politics, religion, technology, um, every art form. Uh, and so I uh, – and such a wide variety of human beings and I – men, women, you know, sometimes they're famous or often they're famous. But sometimes they're not famous but they have a but – they're, but, they're but they're making a difference in the world because of their commitment, honest commitment to something that they excel at. And, um, and it's within that world. So I've done this for 30 years and I just haven't recorded it. <laughs> Does that kind of hurt? A little bit like, God, so many conversations I wish I had had, had Oh, of. believe me, it does. But I, I was glad that I was asked by a couple of publishers uh, to write a book about it because I thought to create some sort of uh, journal of it anyway. And so then Simon & Schuster did – several of the companies did. But I did it with Simon & Schuster who seemed to get it. You know, for what it was, uh, more than others, and um, and it's worked really well. I've been on lots of talk shows. I've had I do a lot of many public speaking engagements about creating curiosity curiosity culture within their culture, whether it's Northrop or Cox Automotive or mm-hmm. Kip or YouTube, Global YouTube. Different companies all do also appreciate the power of curiosity. Well, not only is it. Not only is it, I think, a good way to live your life in terms of being curious, and even and then you you did this even kind of before the self help boom, and I feel like maybe some of those ideas are you know this idea of of mimicking or or asking experts or or sit, are literally just and it seems so obvious like oh yeah well just if you want to learn something sit down and ask a person who has that knowledge yes exactly and well for me what it does is it 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 informs you in so many ways. Um, Beyond just learning about the subject itself, you learn about the – normally what I try to do is I like to learn about some insights or secrets <laughs> that make the person be that person. Ultimately, to have a greater understanding of the subject, people, and really what we're here – you know, what we're doing here on the planet. Yeah, and this kind of interdisciplinary study is re- – I mean because I when – you're, when, you're when you become kind of an expert in one area, there is – sort of a cul-de-sac in the sense of 
you know, like, how else can you reach outside of what you already know to learn things about yourself that you can apply from other fields? Well, that's a really interesting, you know, uh, fork in the road in that um, I I did start this in the most serious way after Splash because I felt like prior to that I met people also that were in show business and that kind of helped me to demystify how this world actually worked. But after Splashed, a splash, I realized that everyone is breathing the same oxygen here in Los Angeles. Um, the oxygen itself and just the oxygen of ideas and sensibility. And I just thought that I had to find a way to curate what I was doing by have, creating this larger constellation of dots that informed me about what was going on in the world and how other people thought so that I didn't duplicate other people's ideas or or approach ideas in the same way. So, for example, I'll just pick a movie like A Beautiful Mind. Mm-hmm. There were movies that were about schizophrenia prior to A Beautiful Mind. But my, ours was a subjective experience into the world of schizophrenia. It was – and that's why it starts – while he's in an alternate reality and then transitions into a real reality, where his previous movies were an objective look at it. Sure. Friday Night Lights, oddly enough, you know, had sort of similarly had a subjective reality to it. And stylistically, it was enhanced because of that subjective reality. Right. So – and a lot of the comedies, you know, it's just it – just, it just helped a lot, you know, whatever the ones that you were, you were speaking to um, – you know, it, it helped by meeting different people. Uh, I mean, even parenthood, just by reaching out to so many people, I realized, oh, everyone thinks that someone else has a normal family, when really nobody has a normal family. We just think there are people that have normal families. Yeah. Um, and that's why the the picture to the key art of parenthood was what looked like a normal American extended family, but it's twist sort of turned up sideways. Because it doesn't exist. Everybody's dysfunctional. <laughs> and of course, my later follow-up was Arrested Development, was, yes, was even course. a, you know, which, which is really how crazy people are. I mean, it, it not only I think is it vital as a, as, as a career choice, I think it's vital as a, as, a, <laughs> as a philosophical, spiritual entity to find out, you know, to seek answers and always. But I think it also, I think it fights... Um, it fights old age. It fights. Definitely. I mean, like to you know, before Joan Rivers was, I'm going to say, uh, taken before her time. I think she would have lived another 20 years. And one of her guiding and Mel Brooks is the same way. Like they are constantly curious and constantly asking questions, and it keeps your brain engaged. And that is that is where vitality comes from. One hundred percent. I mean, I couldn't believe with you, uh, agree with you more. It's the more curious you are. The more interested you are in this grand scheme of life. So when you wake up and when I wake up in the morning, I'm really curious about what's going to happen next within the next moment because it's a story and I'm really involved or engaged in the story of life. And I think that's what I think that's exactly what you're speaking to. It's so funny. You said Mel Brooks, the two movies that got me actually really into the movie business uh, where I took it seriously that I'm going to do it. One was Blazing Saddles, uh-huh. and the other was Battle of Algiers, uh-huh. which was uh, how you know a riot or an insurgence happened on a grand, on a cinematically granular level um, from a subjective point of view. And the other, of course, was Mel Brooks, and I just became in awe of him, and I got to know him. So I recently just saw him. At Nobu, I think he's ninety. Is he ninety now or something? I think he's he might be eighty. Yeah, if he's not ninety, he's like eighty. Okay, in the world, yeah. but that guy is sharp. He's moving fast. I hadn't seen him in I don't know close to ten years. He goes, hey kid, what's going on? Yeah, it's like he just really shot. It. He was with Norman Jewison. Oh wow, oh, it was fantastic. It was a great moment because he was his brain was so alive. His eyes were really alert, and you just saw that. What it is when you're when you're engaged in life like that, and when and it is all driven by the engine of curiosity. And when people don't have curiosity, they don't try new experiences, they don't travel, they don't eat new foods. Mm-hmm. You live in the your your routine even gets smaller, and that's what we don't want to suffer from. So Absolutely. I didn't want to be that guy. I wanted to just keep moving out and meeting new people that would help sort of fortify 
this grand journey that I'm we're all on, I think. Yeah, because if you're not, uh, I think, you know, curiosity leads to growth. And if you're not growing, then you're dying, <laughs> basically. Exactly. I mean, so yeah. What is that French philosopher? Was it Derrida? Who, it's, it's, if, you're not, if you're not creating, it's, it's construction and deconstruction. If you're not building, you're deconstructing. Right. Same idea. I feel like, yeah. And I feel like we're in a very uh, deconstruction-oriented part of pop co- of culture right now where everything, people love to, you know, tear things down down and deconstruct and yes. I, I I I like construction I like to make things and and you know looking at uh so just I know we don't have I this is the thing that sucks is I wish I had like 5 hours to talk to you <laughs> um I'm going to weave in and out a bit. Well, I have to be. I have to, I'm sitting here with you. Look, I'm pretty amazed because we, you just dove in. I'm sorry, I was 15 minutes late. You're fine. And you're you're continuing to ask really interesting questions that are connecting me and like and oh, so good. I'm yeah glad, i'm fantastic glad to hear that. i'm yeah. glad to hear that because you know there's the half of me that is um so intrigued by this idea of curiosity and and also all the people that you've spoken to i could that could be two hours but then also like tell me about night shift and what about real genius like <laughs> sure you know there's there's so much well let me shift for a second please i think people we everyone sees you know produced by produced by from the producers of I don't know if most people understand specifically what a, what a producer's job is in terms of how you're involved with the the creative aspect of the story versus well I'm just the guy who raises the money like what just a little bit how do you see what a producer does Sure okay so I'm a movie and television producer but let me speak to movies cuz I think that's what you're asking and it's sort of um Basically, you know, the end point is you do have to find the way to get the money to pay for the movie. But um, at the very beginning of the, this long journey of trying to create one single movie is you have to start off with an idea. And it can either be your – it could be my idea or it could be somebody else's idea that's in the form of uh, an article to a magazine. It can be a treatment. It can be – the uh, it can be a book. It can be the galley form to a book, which precedes the book. But you have to start with an idea. The idea is the employer of everything. So the producer has to find the creative producer because there's some people that are just line producers. They right. go to the set every day. But I think you're referring to how do I – how does it produce – what does it really work for me? And if somebody chose to do it, you have to start with IP. You have right. to start with something that you own that becomes – the employer of everything, and that's an idea. Then that has to be turned into a script. So my job as a producer, once I've done that, is to be the person that is trying to deliver the fantasy of what that idea is, meaning uh, deliver on the expectation of the single sentence of sure. the idea. Sure. And then my job also is to be – and uh, there's other people. There's Jerry Bruckheimer and there's uh, – there's Jason Bloom and then there's, of course, Scott Rudin and there's great producers that do exactly this thing. And then you have to be physically, uh, fiscally and creatively be responsible. Fiscal responsibility is uh, – follows or is hand-in-hand hand with creative responsibility, meaning you're delivering the idea in the form of a screenplay that delivers on the, on the expectations of – the first sentence and how it ends. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it just—it seems like all of the all of the producer stuff, like some of it, some of the boring bureaucracy. Oops, some of the boring bureaucracy gets in the way of the creative process, where you just want to. God, I just this is just these yes. people are funny. I just want to make this thing, but then you know, having having a brain that can straddle both of those worlds of the fiscal responsibility and the keeping a corporation happy and keeping them at bay versus. All right, I'm holding up this thing so that you can sneak in and you know make your creative carry out your creative vision in the way that you see fit. Yeah. So basically, you've yes. So you've accomplished this unit that I've just discussed with <laughs> <Yeah>. you. <laughs> then the studio will say, "Oh, I don't want to, we we want to laugh in every one of those scenes, but we want to laugh at thirty million, not fifty million." <laughs> so then you have to try to find ways to be ingenious to accomplish the same thing that's in the scene. But for you know two thirds of the price, and there there are always ways to do that. Yeah. There are always ways to do it. You know when you're doing movies that have visual effects that are strong visual effects, um, it's harder because you're subcontracting that out. 
But there's many. I mean, I could. There's as you have a lot. There, there's fifty ways to do something. You know, um, there's different countries that do visual effects, and the country that is providing it is based on. You know, so the services could cost less in one country than another country. Then there are um, tax benefits as high as forty percent in some states in America. And in other countries, like I just made a movie with Bill Murray called Rock the Casbah. Called, <sighs> with for, yeah, he showed up for Comic-Con. For $14 million. That oh, movie. my God. Yeah, the movie that you saw, the piece that you saw at Comic-Con with Bill Murray was up there. You have Kate Hudson in it. You have uh, Danny McBride. You have uh, B- Bruce Willis. How do you describe Bill Murray? If, if, if someone <laughs> didn't know Bill Murray, how would you describe him? as? Because to me, he just seems like this... This ball of phantom energy that just kind of uh, just it, it materializes and dematerializes. Very true. Very true. He's really hard to uh, to to frame. I mean, to he's funny. He's completely counterculture to the point where he's completely unpredictable as to what he's going to say, what he's going to do, where he'll be. I mean, I just <laughs> want to have like pleasant moments with him because I you, know, you might not know when you'll ever see him again. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's um, you know very irreverent and can be dangerous. Sure, and that's good. That's funny. It's because it's but it it sometimes. You know, as we, there's a lot of stories about Bill Murray. I mean, he does, he does dangerous things. But you've also, you've also not only helped launch, but been, you know, had a front row seat to some of the finest, most brilliant and influential comedic brains in the bin. When you go back to Night Shift, you got like, I mean, first of all, Henry Winkler, the fucking best guy in the world. Oh, yeah. Uh, You know, but that launched Michael Keaton. Then you go to Splash, which launched Tom Hanks. Then you go to Real Genius, which launched Val Kilmer. You know, it's like, you see, you you seem to also, as a producer, have to have an eye for talent. You have to be able to recognize, you know, the big picture, the good, the the best writers, the best directors, the best comedic talent. So, are there consistencies that you see in all of these comedic brains where you go, well, mm. there's a thing that they all seem to have? Or is it just – is it are they all unique snowflakes? Wow. OK. Um, let me think about it. I, I was going to say there's a consistent thing in some ways. Basically, I came to the conclusion pretty early and maybe part and parcel based on these early curiosity conversations that um, in in meeting people – to hire as an actor, actress, to um, everything to me is always about is feelings. So I would take thought out of any real time moment, and uh, so when I were to, when I met John Candy, I took thought out of real time moment. Is he connecting to me? Is some feeling happening? Is he igniting any feeling in me? And John Candy made me laugh, and he made me cry all in the same hour. So. I felt pretty strongly I had to have John Candy in Splash. He got paid the most. He got paid more than everybody, actually. All together. He was I, the biggest name in the movie at the time. He was the biggest name in the no movie. No one had heard of Daryl Hannah. No, yeah. I mean, like, it was, it was all still... John, John Candy, everyone knew yeah. from SCTV. Yeah, so basically, what you're hoping to feel, you're hoping to feel something, and it's going to come through when a person is economically communicating a truth to you. And, oh, wow. And and if it's not economic, it's not going to resonate. It's not going to happen. What do you mean by economic? Spark. It's going to happen quickly, you know, sure. like in moments, right. bursts. Oh, as you mean economically yeah. as in – I'm sorry, right, yes. Right, 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 and right. It's going to happen in bursts. It's not going to happen in an hour. It's not going to be the sum total of an hour. Right. You're going to feel it immediately. I mean I saw Eminem before he was a star – just a, it was like literally the camera just held on him before he was a star at a VMA Awards, and they they said, "Oh, new upcoming like rap or something like that," and then the camera goes on him, and in within the span of three seconds, you saw this icy urban glare, and then all of a sudden he became completely fluid and like almost almost anthropomorphized in this sort of self-effacing kind of laugh, you know. And I just thought, wow, that dude like has so much range. Just and you could feel it cinematically just in that moment that you had to meet him. Then you meet him, and he's committed to what he was. You know, <laughs> like he well, he didn't really talk to me for forty minutes. And I he goes, I'm up, man. 
And I go, I thought, you can't be up, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I sort of desperately said, oh, come on, you can, you know, you could animate or something like that. I know what I said. And he looked at me like, I might just kick your ass instead. <laughs> and, uh, but then he sp- then he, he came alive and told his story for an hour, and that became the story of the movie. And yeah. then Jimmy and I, Jimmy Iveen and I, like were just thrilled and ended up doing the movie together. Wow. Do you, have you? Uh, are, are there specific times? How many people do you think? Do you know how many people you've spoken to in the past 30, 30 odd years? Well, in these formal, in these meetings where they where I actually seek them out and create a strategy so that they say yes because they don't often say yes because um, I wasn't always a big producer and even as a big producer. There are people that just are doing a different job. They don't care, you know. Right. They, it's not – they're doing something else in some other state. So I know that at least a 1,000 people, one-on-one one for t- t- two to four hours. Oh, my God. And, and are there – there must have been uh, – you must have had numerous points in your life where you were faced with a problem and you went, aha, and you were able to go to your mental Rolodex or if you keep yes. notes – and you know, and say, ah, this person who's a neuroscientist did this, but this, this is an interesting strategy to solve this problem. Do you have that happen? A hundred percent. Yeah, that's awesome that you bring that up. Yeah, I have a lot of great examples of that, but it definitely happened. So when I referred to each person I met, became like a dot within this sort of greater constellation that sort of lives inside your mind, uh-huh. and you do have access to them. I mean, for example, I mean, I, I know you read my book, but uh, I think twenty twenty. I met Sting. Mm-hmm. In 1984. Oh, Actually, wow. So I met Sting in 1984. I really wanted to meet Sting. I meet him. And then a year later, he says, come to a barbecue. I come to a barbecue, and he has several people. One of them is a woman named Veronica Denegre, who was tortured in Chile. But she survived it, and he had just taken her on the amnesty tour. And so she was such an inspiration. I did ask her how she survived it. By the way, she survived it by creating another story in her mind. So she was, in fact, living in an alternate. Oh, that was Closetland. That was Closetland. Yes, I I love that movie. God, I'm you know. Wow, thank you. Yeah, that was was pretty unrelenting. Pretty. Powerful, but thank you. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was uh, Madeline Stowe and Alan Rickman, and it's a very intimate wow. movie. I mean, really, just like shot in a room. Basically. Yes, it was exactly. Oh, that's so fascinating to yeah. hear that. Yeah, that's yeah. Really so that cool. it became that, and later when we're making a trying to make a beautiful mind, I mean, I just started with wanting to destigmatize mental disability, sure. and then I had to find a subject, and that took like five six years. I eventually met John Nash, then I eventually was able to sort of audition. To be able to be the person that would make turn his movie, his book, A Beautiful Mind, into a movie. And so I got it, but it was written in a very binary way and was more of an objective reality, as I was just referring to. Sure. And it occurred to me the way Veronica Denegre survived when she, she made it so vivid, the multiple stories that went on in her mind so that she could get out of the real-time experience of being tortured. So I thought, wow, but that's exactly how – that's exactly the mind of a schizophrenic. But instead of being created, it's the way it is. It's just genetic. It's the, how it's laying down. So that's what made me think the Veronica Denegre connection, which was 25 years before that, that that's how the movie should begin through an alternate reality. Wow. Wow. That's So many times, yes. I mean it's like it's basically you have this almost like emotional Google that you can, <laughs> yeah, you can I do. call I do, actually. and see all the – and you know what's really what's really wonderful? about it is that it it's it's something that seems so obvious to just sit down and talk to people to to learn everyone has a everyone has a story everyone has a story i mean no, sorry we're gonna no no that. no go, go well the, one of my most recent stories is um i met blake griffin the great basketball player really that jumps guy. over yeah funny guy great guy jumped over you know he's the guy that dribbles and jumps over an audi right mm-hmm. i think it was so i meet him totally cool and then I just occurred to me, like, the guy's 24 years old. I think this all happened at 21. Like, who do you tr- – like, just basically, who do you trust, Blake, that could actually with, – with all the opportunity that was presented to you, who's going to tr- – who are you going to trust with your money, with the opportunity, with the sponsor, all this stuff? And he said, well, basically, he meant, said this guy, but he wasn't a superstar. He said, well, is he like your sports agent? He said, yeah, I guess he's my sports agent. And I said, I really want to meet this guy. Well, he's kind of – just a regular guy. He's not gonna, it's not going to be a dynamic moment for you, he's basically saying. I said, no, I'm really curious about how, how that worked for you. I meet him. He was basically not really a sports agent but only until recently. He was one of 100 assistant DAs 
in Philadelphia that was getting paid $11,000 a year and waking up at 4.30 every morning just to fight crime, basically. Wow. And I said, well, how do you do this to him? And it was really powerful for me because, because I just felt like I was making a difference. And I thought, well, Jonas Salk, that's what he was doing. You know what I mean? Like, that's really what you want your life to add up to being is like hoping you're making a difference in some way, you know? Yeah. And that kept him able to like live this pretty grueling life. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> listen, the entertainment business, I, I, I may not be going out of limb by saying it doesn't always seem like it's trying to make a difference in humanity. So how yeah. do you how do you balance out those two things? We think because I, I know you yeah. know, sometimes there's real value in just like a silly, dumb comedy because it's yeah. distracting. But at the other times, you know, if you want to destigmatize mental illness, that's a much bigger. How do you, yeah. you know, how do you keep it meaningful? And does everything have to be meaningful? I don't think everything has to be meaningful. I mean, for me, I like there to be some sort of message within in a movie, right? Um, so even the comedies, you know, liar, liar. I mean, there was, I think, a message. You yeah. Know? Um, but I mean, dramas help. Um, well, they f- they f- they frame your message in a serious context, so you're you're more apt to f- feel it's it, there's more redemption in it. Sure, but there are light movies that there's lots of redemption, and you and and they have profound effects on you. I mean, the the movie that I always refer to, which wasn't a light movie, but I loved E.T. Yeah. Because as a kid, I was always with my parents going to movies, and they'd drive us, and people were really aggressive, you know, like honking horns and pushing to get their seat and cutting lines. You know, there's all that stuff that goes on in trying to get to a movie theater and get in the seat and do all that stuff. And when I remember seeing uh, E.T. in the Cinerama Dome, after that movie was over, nobody pushed People were all imbued with this essence of something greater, and I, I remember so touched by it and felt like there's just – the world is so much bigger. The essence of humanity is so much greater, and – but because nobody – you didn't – it didn't it, – it transported you to a place where you didn't want to push. There was no uh, honking and you know insanity in the parking lot, and it, it resonates – it still resonates for me, actually. Yeah. The Do, feeling of it, the essence of it, the thing, the heartbeat of it. Who uh, has surprised you the most? <laughs> which filmmaker? Which, no, 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 no. Which like people that you've sat down with? I mean, because I read oh, okay. some of the people you talked to. I know you've also. Yeah. I know you talked. Yeah. You talked to Jonas Salk and yeah. and Isaac Asimov and uh, I mean you and uh, nine hundred ninety eight other people. So who who surprised well, you the most? Uh, I get well. First of all, what I learned in these thousand people is that I every preconception every time I. You know, every time I'm going to meet somebody, I have a preconception about what they'll be like. And everyone has been wrong. Every <laughs> single time. The guy that I thought would be really interesting was really dull. The chef that I thought would be so dynamic as he has come to the restaurant was incredibly dull. Um, and I thought he'd be really interesting. There's some people I think will be incredibly dull. Um, I don't know about incredibly dull, but there is a Nobel laureate named Sheldon Glasgow. Sheldon Glasgow, he... Um, uh, he he reduced the four forces of nature to the three forces of nature by creating the single element, uh, the single uh, force called electroweak. And you'd think that'd be a 20-minute meeting. That was like all day, seven hours. He told me about going to the Galapagos and what that was like and who he went with. And what I said, what did it mean? You know, like every – so he was just really surprisingly interesting. So um, – I just recently met a man that I met him once for a second, and then I was fortunate enough when I went to Sicily to meet him again. I went to this Google conference in Sicily. It was just like a this uh, like a hundred people, and it was uh, it was fantastic that Larry Page has. By the way, he surprises me. He's such a positive vibe. Larry Page of Google. Larry Page of Google is such a positive vibe. He's such a lover in 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 the in the in the human sense, in the sense that he really is dedicated to advancing like socially conscious things it, diverting you know using money to do that using his own resources right. resources also the thing was a trip is like every for those pe- people at google kids were first it was amazing like everything that was done it was always the kids were at every table with the parents oh that's nice yeah and then, and then the launching it of was, alphabet seems to be yeah, like a, it was so it was surprising that it was the least pretentious of anything I've ever done. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> that was super cool. 
Um, I met a man named Carl June who um, – you know, uh, is a doctor that is actually curing cancer, and he, he he's cured cancer in two thousand people. Shane Smith of Vice introduced me to him because he got to do an HBO segment on Carl June, and it was like so fortuitous that actually I was with Shane and Carl June was there at the same time, all un, all unplanned. I think you make your own luck. You make your yeah. So, you know, like you you yeah. you set you you set the circumstances. Like you you start mm. going down these paths, you know. <laughs> And it's like, well, if of course. Yeah, if you're open to you're, it, you have a better chance. Yeah, for sure. absolutely. I'm totally down you with en- that. You, en- you engineer that. I mean, and, and yeah. it's sort of interesting to hear that uh, you, you sort of skated past it, but it sounded like what you were saying is, you know, a flashy restaurant owner or someone that turned out to be not very interesting. And it sounded like there was almost the idea that people who try to seem more outwardly interesting yes. are actually – Maybe not, or maybe trying to compensate, or maybe actually not very interesting. Yeah, I, I I think I am saying that. I didn't think about it in that sense, but I think curiosity is kind of funny, like that. In that, um, I think curiosity is maybe becoming popular now. <laughs> yeah, but but I, I'm sure you meet people too that um, that sort of they stage curiosity, <laughs> right? You know, and their question they're not really it's not sincere and it's not really focused, and you can feel that. They just learned that if I ask a lot of questions to start, it looks like I'm curious and interested and all that. But you can feel that it's a construction. It doesn't feel – doesn't have depth. Right, right, right. I mean it, it all has to have some depth. It doesn't have to be serious because there's some comedians. I just met this guy. Oh, so Don – Donald Glover? Donald Glover, yeah. Yeah, you know him, yes. Of course. Okay, I guess he's kind of a superstar. I didn't know that, but he, everyone said, oh, come in and meet this kid. Dude was so, had so many brilliant insights. Yeah, he's a, he's a you know Donald's a multi hyphenate uh, yes comedy guy, musician, actor. Uh, he's great. There was a big campaign for a long time to try to get him to play Spider Man. The internet made a push to get Donald Glover as the new Spider Man before they I think maybe even before they hired Andrew Garfield. Wow, and I didn't uh, know. and he would have been great. But uh, yeah, Donald Donald's amazing. Yeah, I mean, you know, clearly you know know him, but I I just met him only last week. But I thought I was magnetized to him. Mostly, he was really funny, but his insights were amazing. They were they were just like of a very mature mind, right? That, Blew me away, but you've known of him. What? How long? Ten years, maybe. Or I don't know if it's ten, but I, I mean, a I while. met him because of Community. Because of course, uh, yeah, yeah. I met him through uh, through Community a few, yeah. a few years ago. Uh, but um, what do you think that quality is? And, and it's you, you, you touch on it a little bit when you talk about Eminem, and I think you you were saying that there's a you know this it, this something economical and authentic. Was it authentic? Is that authentic? Is that, is that, is that what is that what you think? Like when you okay, you see George Clooney, you go that guy's fucking magnetic. He's just <laughs> like you just or you know Will Ferrell. You can't take your eyes off him. Yeah, is yeah. is authenticity? Is that what that is that you you think? Um, is that what it is in George and in Will Ferrell? Or no, no, in or general, just, in, in people, general, like that quality. I think authenticity is the thing that cuts through. Yes, I think that's the single. That's. Th- the briefest way of saying it. Right. Yeah. Just having you, you having you you having just been real. close to so many of those yes. people. Authenticity. Yeah. Where what you're experiencing is the real them. The vulnerable them, the powerful them, the the less powerful. Just <laughs> you're just experiencing them. Yeah. Um where you feel like they're not self editing at all. They're right. just um but I definitely think that like when I was trying to actually trying to find a director for the movie Eight Mile was struggling, trying to think of what to do. Should I get a really cool guy that's like a cool hip hop guy or an MTV guy, or do I get um, a classic filmmaker? Which, of course, I, what I did. But I eventually asked Dre, and he said, "I don't know, I don't know." And eventually, I, I've said this before, but he just goes, "Man, just don't let anyone clown out our world." Right. Which meant get someone that's authentic. Right. Make things authentic. Right. So it does come back to that. Yes. What have you? What do you think is the most important thing that you've learned about yourself in all of the in all of the pursuit of of curiosity? I think I've gotten increasingly better, um, and I think I'm very good at being grateful. Like literally, just just have having. It's not religious. It's not even spiritual. Although it's just about being grateful. Like waking up, being grateful that I have curiosity, that I have a relatively high intellect, and that I'm really healthy, and that I can – those things are all 
active and they're activated. Mm-hmm. So I, I, uh, I think by meeting so many people, you realize that we're all the same and that we're all just trying to figure it out and trying to do – I think – I mean the people that – this sounds somewhat elitist, but they're probably in the category that I'm talking about, which is a big enough category. Uh, people that are real, that are working to achieve things and make a difference and they kind of are. That category. Um, I think it's – I think that's what you're – you know, I think I, I think that's what I'm – the classification I'm speaking to. Right. So that seems to be the, the common thread that flows through everyone. I think so. I think that we're all like just trying – we're struggling with the same things. Um I know people we, – we both know people that are very, very wealthy that aren't as happy as us. Sure. And I think it's because they're not experiencing their life in real time. Sure. So they're therefore – I mean I think to be happy, you have to be experiencing life in real time and being grateful to the whole thing within that – with those moments. You can't – it's not about save. You can't. You can't be experience. It can't be a future experience. You can't. <laughs> you know. And there are some people that are very wealthy that have lots of things, and I think they're. It's it's more like they're valuing happiness as a future event. <laughs> and and also I think an external. But it doesn't mean I'm not exclusive. I'm not being okay or rich people. No uh, no you know, no. That... I understand. But I, but I think they also. Uh, I think it's also. Um... An external, uh, an external thing that they think is going to make them happy, yeah. Rather than you know, if you're grateful, then you're automatically being introspective because you have to think of things to be grateful for, which forces you to look at your life, and uh, and and I think that where no matter where you are in life, and you know, it's funny that people view uh, culturally think like. Well, money just solves everything. I'm like, well, th- those people can still be dickheads and they can <laughs> still be, you know, unhappy. It doesn't, you know, it solves some problems, but ultimately if you're not happy with yourself and you don't appreciate the world around you, it doesn't matter what you have right. at all. Definitely. And I think I mean, another thing I've learned this more more tangible way of stating it is like to always try to stay in my own lane. Because the minute I veer into someone else's lane, you know, that guy, he's Cooler than I am, or this guy, you know, any anything that's comparative, sure, is taking you out of your lane. Sure, when you're in your lane, meaning your own ethos, your own morality, your own value system, your own work, all those things, then I think you're you're cool, you're okay, because then you're it enables you to be grateful. Um, being comparative can can are the times that I've been the least happy. Sure. And this business completely fosters that mindset. Oh, my God. It does. It pushes it in your face all the time to be comparative. Yeah. And you just have to sort of always try to not allow those things to have those external variables to stimulate you to the point where you're comparative because then you're gonna, it's going to make you less happy. Were you always – did you always understand that or no. was that – No. <laughs> I definitely didn't. De- no, definitely not. Although I did have this moment. I mean I don't know how long the show is, but I'll give you a very quick moment. Is it, please. So, OK. So I worked on Splash for six and a half, seven years. It finally got uh, released in 1984. So I've worked on – so the movie gets released and there are certain parties in Hollywood that I really wanted to go to, but I never would get invited. I was always wanting to go to Pierre Cosette's Super Bowl party held at Chasen's restaurant. Right. Famous Chasen's. And I thought, I really want to be – that and, and uh, Swifty Lazar's Oscar party. Okay. okay? Which I both got invited – I got invited <laughs> to both because of Splash. So I get invited to this Chasen's Super Bowl party that I've wanted to go to – as long as I'd been in show business, which was like seven or eight years prior to that. And I get there late because I don't think – I didn't know you are supposed to get there early. you know. And I'm really nervous. I'm there late and I couldn't figure out where, where to sit. And I just squeeze into a table really – without looking, I squeeze into a table that Johnny Carson is there. All of the greatest comics, Red Buttons, Johnny Carson, um, uh, uh, Milton Berle. Buddy Hackett, it was just that crowd, that entire crowd. Don Rickles. Oh, my God. I'm literally at one table. And I thought that I had this epiphany because I was really nervous and I, there was no need for me to talk. <laughs> but these guys were just bantering and laughing and, 
And I and I thought to myself, wow, one time these guys were much, much younger and really competitive with each other and probably were veering out of their lane because that's what you do. Like when you get hot, you know, if Johnny Depp gets hot or this guy gets hot or Hank, Hank's or whatever, you start, they start wondering, am I the hottest? They just can't help it. So – I thought to myself, these guys at one time were like probably fierce enemies or competitors or quietly rooted against the other guy, which is what Hollywood is about for sure. <laughs> probably politics too. And But these guys, all they wanted to do clearly was just share some camaraderie, good jokes, good laughs, and watch a game. So it made me think to myself, worrying about being hot – Worrying about competing, am I hot enough? Am I high enough on a list? All those things we care about, but to place too much importance on that is only going to be a ridiculous bummer for you, (laughs) a complete buzzkill in your life. And when really all you want to do is have it add up to have some good friends and have some laughs and simpler things in life. Yeah, because it doesn't matter even if you you are the hottest, even if you do achieve that, Mm -hmm. which I still think is a strange – It's fleeting. It's it's fleeting and it's going to go away. There's no straight up trajectory. (laughs) You know, like like, that was – the the thing was so disillusioning to me. It's like I thought, okay, I did Night Shift. That was really cool, da-da-da, but it wasn't quite a hit. So then I do Splash. It's a hit. And I thought, wow, I'm just going to make hits forever. That's all I do is make hits. I'm the man that does. Then the minute it wasn't, I thought, wait a second. And I realized just the immortality factor. Like you just don't – our careers just don't go straight up. And of course in life, I now work side by side with so many people that this is their first hit and and I'm doing something with them. But I've then – I've had previous hits, so I know that it goes up and down and up and down. So – but they're like – they sometimes don't think like that and they could be rude or they could be, you know, um, you know, just dismissive or any number of things um, that if you just had a little bit more courtesy, you know, it's going to work. Yeah. They'll regret that. You always regret it if you don't. I mean, because you're going to go down. Yeah, yeah. And also, who, you know, I think a good question to ask is who, who do you want to be when yeah. you get there? Do you want to yeah. be the guy who's all bitter? Or do you want to be the guy that's like, well, <laughs> I guess I'll just uh, do something that's fun and maybe that'll, that shit will come back. And if it doesn't, you know, I'm, I'm happy with myself. Yeah. Have diversified interests, by the way. Yeah. I mean, definitely. I've always, I've always had pretty, I've had diversified interests. Um, but I've con- I've kept them alive. Like I've painted for now twenty five years. Sometimes it's really hard to like put the paintbrush on the canvas. But you know, I want to keep it alive. I want to keep that alive. I do a few other things. I surf. I do a few other things that I want to keep alive as interest to sort of amortize my success right. <laughs> or happiness rather happiness. Right. Um, I, su- I know you have a hard out at two, and it's now yeah. two o two. Okay, but uh, but my, so two quick questions. Number one, okay. uh, we we have to. Can we please sit down again? Because this was yeah. just like there's more. I feel like there's so much more to dissect with this. I'd love to. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and number two, because a lot of people who listen are creators uh, of things. I, I'm sure a lot of times you as a producer also kind of have to be the counselor, babysitter. Like you kind of have to come in and like, okay, kids, let's all just. But when you find that there, you know, that people and even some of the biggest names in the world that we look up to is thinking, oh, they've got everything figured out. Yeah. When those people have kind of hit their wall, and I don't know if I can do this. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't have anything left. It, you know what? What do you say to those people? How do you get? How do you help people dig out of a creative rut when, especially when time and money are of, of you know of of the essence? Yes, that's happened to me. Um, basically, what I do is I honestly I locate their strength and I talk about the strength that they have. This particular their skill. Um, I mean, I had to do that with Jim Carrey once, and he was the Literally, he he could not grasp. It was in a dark, dark, a low moment, but he was literally the singular biggest comedy star in the world. And I grabbed him and hugged him because it was. Uh, and I just said, "You have." I, I mean, this is you get, you get people to talk. You're very good at that. No, <laughs> but in any event, but you just have to tell them. Uh, you have to really, honestly, have genuine trust between the two between the two of you. They have to trust you. And you have to tell them in a really honest, smart way 
the power of their strength. What the power? What because that power? It's ultimately it's physics. It's energy, focus, and intellect. So you have to within that find that particular skill that once they that they have and and marry it to those to physics itself to get them out of their rut to dislodge them out of their rut. Excellent. Um, I hope, hope we that get... wasn't too esoteric. No, that wasn't okay. too esoteric. It was perfect okay. actually, and it also it it also I think works for people who don't have someone to tell them that to ask that question. But I think. You know, curiosity ultimately, ultimately, when you still it down, is asking questions. And so, I, I think one thing to take away from this is the sort of the bigger picture idea of always ask questions, try to ask good questions, and if you're not getting results that you think you want, then ask different, ask better questions, ask, ask better, different questions. Totally, I yeah. get it. Yes. Um, so, uh, hopefully, we'll get you back again soon. And the book is a curious mind: the secret to a bigger life. And uh, it's out now. It's, it was been on the bestseller list for like forever. So uh, congratulations! <laughs> thanks so much. Loved being here. Yeah, thanks, man. All right, I'll be back. <laughs> uh, enjoy your burrito, everyone. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. I feel like I was blindsided because it's a competition show. From the producers of Jury Duty and The Bachelor. We have scoured the earth for the 14 greatest reality contestants that were available during our production window. Comes a reality competition show about reality competition shows. Nobody has dared to find out who is the actual best at just being on a reality show. I'm your host, comedian Daniel Tosh. Is winner go home. Each episode, our contestants will face new challenges. They will test their strength and lack of life skills for a chance to win $200 million. Thousands, not $200,000. Prepare, because it's about to be ugly crying. Lots of fighting. Tasha, I have to defend myself. Celebrating 25 years of reality TV with your favorites. I hear diarrhea. You cannot do this to me. What in gay hell have I got myself into? The Goat, premiering on Freebie and Prime Video on May 9th. 